WSAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz here with Jeff Simmons every Thursday at 5 o'clock. Hey, Jeff, how you doing? Good afternoon, Celeste. Great to see you again. Another another busy, busy news day or news week or news year going on here. And we have some uh, great guests in store for you guys today. Uh, we're going to be talking about, uh, for one thing, uh, the... Uh, recently declared campaign of Bernie Sanders, Bernie Sanders 2.0 for president. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. I think we have a little announcement before that if you guys want to help us out and then we're going to go right into the show. I just want to remind our listeners that we are in the middle of the WBAI winter pledge drive. So please give a call if you can to 516-620-3602 in the name of our show, Driving Forces, or go online and make a pledge to give to, that's the number two, WBAI. AI.org to make a pledge. And you can also on your smartphone text WBAI to 41444. Three ways how you can support our station and keep us on the air. Yes, we absolutely, uh, we absolutely do, uh, you know, appreciate your support. This is listener-supported radio, very different from what you get on commercial stations and uh, so on. So uh, we certainly do appreciate it. Again, the number is 516-620-3602. So we are going to uh, jump right in today. As, uh, as we said, you know, a lot of people talking very much uh, this week uh, about Bernie Sanders, the, uh, the senator from Vermont. Vermont taking another crack at uh, the presidency of the United States. This is uh, something that's stirring up a lot of discussion. Some people very excited, some people not within Democratic and Republican circles. And we think we have a great guest here who's going to help us figure it all out. Uh, we're happy to welcome to WBAI Howard Dean. He served six terms as governor of Vermont, and he's a former chairman of the Democratic National Committee. His run for the presidency in 2003 was groundbreaking in terms of its use of the internet and the development of innovative uh, campaign and fundraising strategies, perhaps you've heard of, including the 50-state strategy. Uh, he's a senior advisor for the international law firm McKenna, Long, and Aldridge LP. He's senior fellow at the Peter, Peter Calico Center for the Study of the American Presidency at Hofstra University. And in addition to be a CNBC member and founder of Democracy for America, Governor Dean is a physician who earned his MD right here in New York at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine, birthplace of many famous people, but also of me. So, Governor Dean, it is a pleasure to have you on the program. Thanks for having me. I'm sorry you had to read that long introduction. Well, look, I mean, this is exactly why we'd have, want to have you on the show, because you know you know about this on so many different levels, from, you know, from, uh, you know, working with uh, with Senator Sanders in Vermont, from having run for president, for having run the party, and from having, uh, you know, brought in sort of a new era, actually, in the way presidential campaigns are run. So uh, we're, we're super excited to have you on. And I guess I'll just ask the obvious question. Bernie Sanders. Sanders 2020, what do you think? Um, look, I, I'm not going to endorse or not endorse anybody since I'm running the database for the DNC. So, you know, Bernie rightly complained last time around about the DNC putting his finger on the scales, which I don't intend to do. Um, look, he's a proven candidate. He's a proven great fundraiser. And he, uh, regardless of how he does in the primaries, he basically, I think, has moved the Democratic Party in a direction that that uh, an awful lot of people wanted it to go. So, you know, I, I, it's going to be a fascinating season. There's probably going to be 15 or 16 candidates before we get done. 
And I just want to harken back to something uh, that we talked about actually a couple of years ago in, in 2016, right after uh, Hillary Clinton secured the nomination. You and I had a talk on a, a different program I did, which was a, a podcast called Special Relationship with uh, The Economist. And um, you said at that time that Bernie Sanders was kind of at a crossroads, that he was going to have to decide what his future in the party or in politics was going to be, you know, at the at the national level. Uh, was he going to uh, sort of keep trying to push people to cleave to his agenda or was he going to try to bring people together? What is what he's doing now? How does that fit in? Well, I think he's still at the same crossroads. Um, you know, he, he has a leadership role in the Senate uh, given to him by the Democrats, uh, but he's not a Democrat. So, I mean, I, I don't think he's I mean, it's, he struggles with this, and he has his entire career. Democrats support him. Uh, not every Democrat supports him, obviously, but that's where his base is, is, is many, many, many Democratic voters. Uh, but he runs as an independent. So, I, I, you know, I, I don't – I think he's still um, sort of not – you know, he's trying to carve out a role for himself, which is unprecedented. And in fact, that's where I was about to go. Like, what do you see as the path to victory for him? What are some of the challenges that might lie ahead? Well, there's a couple of challenges. Um, the the biggest one is there are going to be 15 people in the race, and you know, a good number of them are going to believe the same things he believes, or something pretty similar. Uh, and he gets credit for that change. Um, but uh, now there are a whole lot of younger people in the race uh, saying the same things. So I think it's going to be hard for him to get to the, you know, it's in, when you're running and there's only one other candidate who's pretty significantly different than you are, it's a very different race than if there are 15 people you can choose from and seven of them believe the same things you believe. So that's going to be, I think that's going to be a big challenge. He clearly has a terrific fundraising base. Yeah, and in fact, uh, he's raised significant amounts of money in these first few days since announcing. Do you consider this uh, meaningful, or is this just low-hanging fruit? Um, both. It's low-hanging fruit, and it's meaningful. I mean, it, nobody else raised that kind of money in the first whatever it was days. So um, uh, on the other hand, you know, we, we've got a long slog ahead of us. Uh, I think most likely – Four or five or six candidates are going to make it out of Iowa, uh, New Hampshire, Nevada, and South Carolina, uh, and then they're going to go to California, and that's where uh, that's where the stuff is going to start to really uh, fall out in terms of who might end up being the nominee. So if you're just joining us, you're listening to Driving Forces here on WBAI 99.5 FM and streaming live on WBAI.org. We are speaking with former Vermont governor and former DNC chairman Howard Dean about uh, the decision of Bernie Sanders to run once again for president of the United States. Um, So, Dr. Dean, as far as... uh, diversity in the party. We've looked at, you know, we've heard a lot of stories and we've read a lot of stories about uh, the Democratic Party uh, really opening up, you know, more women, more people from different ethnic backgrounds and and age groups, younger people, uh, Latino, a growing Latino electorate. How does this fit in with somebody like Bernie Sanders, say, or even Joe Biden running? Is there is there some kind of like well, disconnect? There? I think that we, we have seen for the last time the Democratic Party running two white men at the top of the ticket. Our core base is young people under, say, 35, women and people of color. That is our base. If we get those groups of people out to vote, we win. If we don't, we lose. So I think we've seen a transformation in the Democratic Party 
mostly in the last two years. In 2017 in Virginia and 2018 in the congressional elections, we picked up huge numbers of seats. And for the first time in my life, the candidates looked like the base. Uh, more mem- people of color, particularly women of color, in both the state legislature uh, assembly in Virginia and uh, also the, the Congress, 40 new people uh, in Congress. Uh, the, they're younger. The, the average age of the congressional of the entire Democratic Party went down 10 years as a result of the single election in 2018. This is extraordinary. It's, they're young, they're female, and they're of color. And it's, an, it, it's a movement that the party needed to have. It, we're, we're, you know, the, everybody writes about the left and the right in the Democratic Party. The real story is young versus old. And it's not so much of a versus um, you know, there's some resistance to the young people taking over, but they've just taken over. They've just done it their way. Um, and I think it's extraordinary. I, you know, you are seeing the Democratic Party being taken over by the new generation. They've done a third of the job. They've, they picked up 350 seats in state legislatures this past election. We lost 1,000 over the previous eight years. Now we've got uh, the next 650 to go. And it's going to be harder. Every time you get closer to where you need to be, it's harder and harder. But it's the transformation in the party is really amazing, but it's an age transformation, not so much of a right-left transformation. So, and in this election season, uh, are there specific issues where you believe uh, he was very strong in the last campaign that might not resonate now? Or do you feel that, you know, Medicare for all and the $15 minimum wage and uh, tuition-free public uh, college education, that these issues are still going to resonate strongly with his base? And, uh, or are there other issues that you think will dominate this? Well, these are going to be the biggest, uh, three of the biggest ones. They're not the only big ones. But, but the, the problem is how you talk about it. Medicare for all is much better than talking about single payer because Medicare is something everybody understands. But there are lots of ways of doing Medicare for all. Uh, I don't believe that we should try to sell Medicare for all immediately. That is, get rid of the private insurance market, because I think a lot of people are going to say, what? You're taking away my private insurance? I think we have to do this by giving people choice. And that actually was in the Affordable Care Act until uh, Joe Lieberman decided to vote against it at the last minute, and we lost our 60th vote. Uh, The public option is a good way to get people uh, into Medicare for all. We have to have universal health insurance. Medicare is a good program. Uh, but see, this is all in the... So now we're going to be splitting hairs. Where do you do it right away? You do it through the public option. I don't think the public has a big appetite for the details. Um, free college is another one. Some people are going to say free junior college. Some people are going to say all kinds of... Every college is free. Well, you know, I mean, these... These things are, are policy disagreements that matter in the long run, but I think people in general are going to be in favor of all of these things, including the Green New Deal. If you look under the hood, the Green New Deal is only four pages, so obviously it doesn't have all the details that it needs to. But this generation of young people, climate change is their number one uh, legislative issue. It's what divorced them from Donald Trump when he left Paris, left the Paris Agreement. That was the end. Sixty-nine percent of young people, of people under 30 in Virginia voted for Ralph Northam. That is obviously before all the blackface stuff. But, you know, Ralph Northam is a centrist by Virginia standards. 69% of people voted for him. Why? Because the Republicans have nothing to say to young voters who believe that climate change is important, diversity is important, a decent immigration bill where we treat people with respect is important. Those things, that's where the Democratic Party is now. 
And I'm curious, just just to that very, very point, when you talk about a lot of these initiatives individually being appealing to a lot of Americans, just in the same way, for example, uh, you hear uh, people say that they're very much in favor of reasonable gun regulations, that even uh, the overwhelming majority of Republicans support, say, background checks and other measures to, uh, uh, to control firearms. But once you start talking about the Second Amendment, a, you know, writ large becomes a different story. So I wanted to ask you, in this case, a, a lot of the initiatives that you're talking about, people like them, but the Republicans are packaging them in a certain way, which is the sort of specter of socialism, the red menace. And uh, you know, maybe that's going to scare people off. I wonder what you think about that. I don't think so. I think, first of all, I think the Parkland kids, the next generation after the one that's now taking over, have transformed the debate on the National Rifle Association. The National Rifle Association is now seen as evil. That's extraordinary, considering what it was like even when I was running, when I was endorsed by the National Rifle Association, because I came from a state where nobody seemed to care and there were plenty of hunters. Well, the National Rifle Association is now the party of the AR-15. <laughs> and that's, that's not, you know, so that debate, and that debate was finally, I think, begun to turn by the Parkland kids, the 17, 18-year-olds whose friends were killed uh, in, the, in the shooting at the elementary school in Florida, I mean, at the high school in Florida. Uh, so that that's the socialism business. That's all fine and good. Older voters are the ones that support the Republicans. They remember the red menace of Russia and all this other stuff today. You know, socialism doesn't mean what it meant back then. Red baiting's not going to work. People have tried to red bait Bernie Sanders in every election that he's ever been in. And it always blew up in his face. I just don't think that's going to be let them talk about it all they want. Uh, you know, people are screaming and yelling about socialism are 55 years old, didn't go to college and they're going to vote for Trump anyway. Um, and just generally, no matter who the nominee ends up being, obviously we have this huge field here. What do you see as the, the best path to defeating Donald Trump? Whether you like it or not, we all know, and you certainly uh, know as a, a you know, historian, um, it's hard to knock out an incumbent president. It just is. All right, so here's the strategy. Okay. We do not call t Trump a dope every five minutes. He will, he will make it plain that's who he is. He cannot stay out of the limelight. He will remind everybody why they don't like Donald Trump. We do not have to do that. Uh, the, the best person who did this so far is Amy Klobuchar on her announcement. She announces in a blizzard, Trump tweets some insulting thing, and she just says, what do you think Trump's hair would look like in, this, in the blizzard I announced? And then goes right on to talk about health care and education. That's what we have to do. Just we don't have to deal with Trump. Remember when Obama flipped his shoulder, flicked his shoulder off and everybody got outraged? That's what you have to do to people who are a pain in the butt and, and aren't talking about issues. Talk about the issues we need. Here's what we need to do. We need to talk about the things we've talked about, health care. Uh, we need to have a safe, reasonable gun uh, regulation, which I think the American people are well interested in doing. Education, obviously. Uh, we also need... Uh, to talk about the economy. We need to, we, I, I am not an advocate of trying to go get the Trump voters and convince them they should be democratic. But we do have to rule the country after we win. And that means we have to have some issues that are going to appeal to all Americans. And the one that's going to appeal to Americans most uh, is this problem that we have with corporations having too much power over people's lives and large numbers of people of all colors who cannot find jobs, cannot keep jobs, and don't get paid adequately. Uh, that is a huge issue. I, I, you know, most Americans are capitalists and believe in capitalism. But the truth is, 
every system gets out of whack once in a while, and this system is now is out of whack, and it doesn't work for everybody. And, and you know, there have been some corporate titans that have said this. If the system doesn't work for everybody, it's not going to work for anybody in the long run. And there are even some people with a hell of a lot of money who think that's true. None of them are, of course, the Koch brothers or the Mercers. So, uh, Governor Dean, as we're waiting to uh, see who else enters the presidential race, Joe Biden, others, we're not sure. We're also here in New York wondering whether our mayor is going to uh, throw his hat in the ring. And last night in the public advocates debate, it seemed as if all of the candidates on stage, I believe there were seven of them, were all bashing the mayor and saying that he's, uh, you know, he should not be entertaining uh, visions of running for president. Uh, your view on whether de Blasio should run or not for president? Well, look, I, I consider Bill a friend and the whole de Blasio family uh, a friend, so I'm certainly not going to weigh in on political mess in New York City when people are attacking each other. I, I like Bill de Blasio as a human being. I helped him get elected the first time, and I think he's going to have to do whatever he has to do. But that's this is one, again, I'm not going to get into this. And uh, just one more thing, and you've been very generous with your time, Governor Dean. Um, in uh, in the last presidential cycle, we saw uh, this sort of huge street fight with uh, so many Republicans on stage that they had to have a you know quote unquote kitty table, and it was just it was just this sort of major brawl. Do you, are you concerned about seeing that sort of like you know bloodbath type of primary here? Do you think that's going to be damaging to the party at all? Or are you concerned? I don't think so, and I'll tell you why. First of all, I think the Average Democratic voter, the most important thing for them is to beat Trump. So I think there's not the appetite. I think if somebody gets up and tries to rip somebody else apart, that's going to hurt both parties. I think there's just an atmosphere among the Democrats that we've got to stick together. Secondly, uh, the DNC is a debate schedule. I think is a, what they've done is very good. They have two early debates. They're going to each each of those debates is actually two debates. They're not going to have a junior varsity and a varsity. They're going to randomly assign the people to, to the debate. So you could have, you know, Joe Biden, if he runs, and Bernie Sanders on the same stage as, um, you know, as uh, any Pete Buttigieg and, and uh, you know, whomever else runs or Amy Klobuchar or whatever. Um, and that's the way it should be initially, because the original initial debates are going to determine what, you know, people are going to. There are going to be 10 of these people, which the majority of Americans have never heard of before. And that's their chance to, to show if they're a good, pre, good presidential candidate or not. And some of them will be, and some of them may get the nomination. So their debates will be much fairer. It won't, there will be ultimately some, um, some priorities given, for example, to people who have a lot of grassroots fundraisers. Because, if, if, you know, if you're just going out there like uh, George Pataki and Rick Santorum and Jim Gilmore did, you basically show up for the debates and do nothing else. That, that You're not a serious candidate. But for anybody who's put together a decent organization, raised a little bit of money from lots of different kinds of donors, uh, and has uh, people in every state that are supporting them, it doesn't matter where they are in the polls, because, of course, they're not going to be anywhere in the polls early. That's a good system. It's a fair system, and nobody's going to get slighted by going to the kiddies table, as you put it. <laughs> Uh, well, just to, I just remember covering that, uh, covering that campaign, and, and trying to figure out how is how are they going to actually make this work when I mean, they had to do, you know, sort of the the A team and the B team, so to speak. And there were some some hard feelings about that. But uh, there I, should be. I mean, I don't think there is an A team or a B team. I mean, the the last poll that I saw, there wasn't anybody in the twenties. And I think people want to keep their options open. I think they want to see some of these new people that are coming in that they haven't heard of before. Look, I, I think the most important thing 
which did not happen the last time, is the DNC has to keep their finger off the scale. Their job is to make sure that everybody gets some exposure who's a reasonable candidate to run the primary pro pro uh, process fairly and to run a fair convention. That's what the DNC is supposed to do, and that's all they're supposed to do until after we choose a nominee. And you feel confident that's going to happen this time? Well, I, you know, you never feel confident about anything in politics. <laughs> anything can happen. But, yes, I, I think that's the – I think the lesson w the DNC learned the last time was a very hard one for them, and I think they would like to do it the right way this time. Do you think there's any chance that Trump does not make it to the 20, uh, 2020 election? Elizabeth Warren's favorite. <laughs> From God. your lips to God's ears, as they say in the Bronx. <laughs> Governor Dean, if uh, people want to know more about you and your work uh, on the campaign and on everything else, where can they uh, look for you? Uh, I, well, Twitter is probably what I'm most active on, at GovHowardDean. Uh, my tweets are... As one of my young uh, nephews said, who's about 23, hey, I like your Twitter feed, man. You know how to throw shade. <laughs> so does Celeste. So I, uh, but I, you know, I don't know. I got rid of my Facebook page because I didn't feel like sharing my identity with the Russians. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, I don't think Facebook's behaved very well in the last two or three years for the country. Um, Do you think and, that's going to mess so up I, the next one, too? Do you think it's going to oh, mess yeah, up? Oh, yeah, I think they will. I think they're interested in the money. So we're going to have to do some pretty we're, – we're going to have to defend ourselves against our own companies this la next time, I think. Wow. Uh, well, we will uh, we'll look forward to that. Between that and uh, what's going on in North Carolina with a, a congressional do-over, have you ever seen anything like that before? I have not, but I'm sure it's happened in the past. But this was uh, – you know, this is – the Republican Party in, in North Carolina is about the most corrupt – there is, as is the legislature, and to force them into the position of asking for new elections is pretty extraordinary. Yes. So we'll see what happens. Um, I hope they have. I mean, they obviously need one. It's a little unfair because the Democratic nominee probably won. And he's a fantastic candidate. I'm sure he's with Dan McGrady, uh, serving the Marines, and he's just great. He's young, and, um, you know, he's a great candidate for North Carolina. So I'm obviously hoping he's going to win. Governor Howard Dean, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the program. We hope you'll come back soon. Thanks for having me on. Much appreciated. Uh, so you are listening to Driving Forces here on WBAI 99.5 FM, and we're streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz here with Jeff Simmons, and we were just listening to former Vermont governor, uh, former DNC chair, and former presidential candidate Howard Dean. So, Jeff, what do you think? you got a lot to say here. Well, you know what I want to talk about. I just want to remind our listeners, as we're getting our, our next uh, guest on the line, I want to remind our listeners that it is the Winter Fun Drive. So please give us a call at 516-620-3602 to make a pledge. But I should also tell you that after we finish this next guest, we want to hear from you. We want to know what you think about Bernie Sanders entering the race. We want to know what you think of the other candidates who've entered the race. Who do you support? Why do you support them? Or why don't you support them? The listener call in line and it'll start in about 12 to 15 minutes probably about 12 minutes is 212-209-2877 this is driving forces wbai with celeste katz and jeff simmons and again that listener call in line is 
209-2877. So that brings us up to our next guest, uh, who is someone that I have known for a number of years. I've not seen her in a while, so it's great to have her on the show. Republican political strategist and analyst Susan Del Percio, founder of Susan Del Percio Strategies. She's worked with a number of Republican candidates, including leading John Faso's campaign for governor. She worked in former Mayor Rudy Giuliani's administration as deputy commissioner for finance and administration. And she was a special advisor to New York Governor Andrew Cuomo before returning to political consulting. Welcome to Driving Forces, Susan. Great to be on with you. Hello. It's wonderful to speak with you again. So let's start off with the obvious question. In your view, what what do you make of Bernie Sanders entering the race? And what is the impact on the other candidates who've already announced? Does it hurt some? Does it help some? And, you know, I've got a lot of questions for you. So I'll start off with that one. Sure. I mean, he made what was interesting about Bernie Sanders is that he really made a stunning entrance, raising you know, six million dollars in, in about 24 hours. And I think that was more surprising. Uh, people didn't expect to see those kind of numbers. So there are, people are looking at it and saying, wow, maybe Bernie Sanders has more of an operation than we we originally thought. And that's something we have to be uh, more careful about. And as far as, uh, by the way, hi, Susan, it's good. <laughs> thank you for being on the show. Yeah. Totally appreciate it. Um, uh, you know, I'm just curious. Uh, this is something we were just talking to Howard Dean a little bit ago uh, about you know, Sanders being kind of a unique candidate and Republicans already kind of laying it on pretty thick with this idea of, oh, boy, you know, the socialists are coming to take over and, you know, like uh, stop the red tide and all that kind of stuff. And this is uh, this is already going whether or not it's valid or not. But it's already going on. I mean, do you see Republicans using this to any uh, effect or what do you think of that? Oh, absolutely. Um, Bernie Sanders uh, definitely paved the way uh, for the Democratic Socialist Party movement, if you will. And he is shown that he will continue to be their leader, at least for now. What it's done, though, is because he's such a right target, is now that we have the question became of the other Democrats, well, are you a Democratic Socialist? And then we hear the answer is no, I'm a capitalist. And they have to start to redefine themselves. So as some of those candidates who were worried about being defined um, as a socialist by the Republicans, they may, and they're more concerned about showing they can beat Donald Trump, they will have to be a little more careful, and Republicans will take advantage of it, whether it's you know, AOC coming in against Amazon and the social uh, kind of party she's behind and supporting it. That's a, that's a whole different ballgame for now for Republicans, and frankly, it gives them so, us something that we didn't have before to, to go after a potential candidate. Uh, you know, at the same time, though, if you if you break it down, I guess, just to be devil's advocate, you could say, well, look, a lot of programs that uh, uh, we have in the United States and that Republicans support, social safety nets and, and somewhat subsidized, say, public transportation and so on, have elements of socialism. They may not be, we don't have a full-on socialist society, clearly, uh, but there are already some uh, aspects of it that... Uh, well, that there's a difference between government providing service, which it's supposed to, versus government providing all service for people, responsible for you having a job, responsible for every aspect of your life, and funding it. Let's not forget that. I mean, and when we talk about these programs, there are funding issues. You hear about a lot of programs and and taxing the wealthy. 
And I think that there's a lot of people on board, even Republicans, who say, yes, people should pay more of their fair share. But when does it end? And when does personal responsibility enter? And I think in certain cases, we've seen whether it's Senator Harris saying that she thinks that, you know, we could get rid of private insurance. There was a lot of blowback on that because people do like having their own insurance. They don't want to necessarily have the government run every aspect of their life. So, Susan, I'm just curious, having read a number of the Times stories that had focused on some of the flaws in his last campaign, what do you think, you know, are some of the lessons that maybe he took away from or his campaign team should take away from that campaign to be able to shape a different one now to succeed? Wow, Jeff, that's such a great question, because I think there's a lot of people out there who kind of saw this rollout also of Bernie being kind of coming back because he had a, an axe to grind because, you know, he did feel that the system went against him and he was potentially cheated out of something in 2016. So there's certainly that aspect of, you know, what, you know, is he going to be able to kind of get over that? And will his people get over that? Will, I mean, when it comes to finding more diversity in his campaign staff and appealing to, to people of color. That's another big issue in the Democratic primary that he has to face, that he didn't do well in in 2016. And then lastly, there are a lot more people running, many with a progressive agenda, and maybe they are seeing more of the future, that Bernie Sanders did a great job bringing these issues to, to the forefront, but we need someone new to really hit it home and to be, you know, the, the candidate against Donald Trump. Yeah, well, that's that was actually that's a perfect segue. I'm I'm I'm, I'm getting a lot of good segues <laughs> lately on this show. Um, hey, but do uh, what I can. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, you know, to your point, though, uh, I don't know you necessarily to be somebody who uh, frequently agrees with Donald Trump, I'll put it that way. But, uh, you know, he said, look, maybe, (laughs) you know, we tried it. Family, family radio, family radio programming here at WBAI. Um, But uh, Trump said, look, you know, I think maybe Bernie missed its moment. And I was just wondering how you felt about that statement that, you know, we have, when you consider all the other younger, more diverse progressives that have already declared, and who knows who else might even still get into the race, it's still pretty early. Uh, how do you feel about Trump saying, like, look, man, you know, you had your chance? Well, it is still very, very early, and that's important. But one thing that, you know, I, I was one of those believers that perhaps Bernie did miss his window, but the number that he showed up with in fundraising was just tremendous. And it looks like no matter what happens, he will have the money to go the distance on this primary schedule. And that's where the question is, is this, does he take away money from other potential candidates like Gillibrand or Booker? Um, who, what oxygen does he take up? And right now he, he did pretty well on his, his announcement, but again, we're, so far out it's so hard to tell i mean i wouldn't want to it's not always great to be the front runner this far out let's put it that way yeah. you have a target on your oh back. yeah and that's uh, uh, one of the things that i've been thinking about right now but uh, you know you're talking about if he might uh, suck all the oxygen out of the race from others i'm curious if his entrance into the race might be dissuading some other folks mm-hmm. from entering the race not even thinking of who's already declared but those who are poised to do you have any sense on whether this might impact some of those decisions Oh, I don't think so. I think that he was pretty much um, considered, uh, 
that it was he was going to be running. So I think that probably goes into anyone's um, factor in making a decision if they're going to run. I think they saw Bernie Sanders as and, and Elizabeth Warren, potentially Joe Biden, as all folks that could would be serious contenders in 2020. So I don't think that it shouldn't be it shouldn't come as a surprise. So therefore, it shouldn't affect their decision. Uh, and if you're just joining us, this is WBAI 99.5 FM, and we're streaming live on WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces with Celeste Katz and Jeff Simmons. We are speaking with uh, strategist Susan Del Percio about Bernie Sanders 2020. Uh, so, Susan, um, one thing is uh, I was thinking about, you know, not that uh, Michael Avenatti, there's a, a name that you may or may not have heard in the last uh, few weeks, but, <laughs> you know, yeah, right. I think he had, there was like that that five seconds where he was running around in Iowa thinking about running for president himself. But uh, in any event, I think there was, I believe it was an interview with Time Magazine in which he said uh, something to the effect of, look, if the Democrats want to beat Donald Trump, they better nominate a white dude. Um yeah. I don't, I don't think that Michael Avenatti is exactly um, an, an expert in politics. I've yet to see him do anything in the realm, so I would just discount that immediately. And I, I think it's actually great for this country that we see the diversity and, and women and so many people running for office right now. And that will do us a lot of good. And when you look at, the, at 2018, you saw more women running more women being elected, women voting for against Donald Trump. So I think as long you know, this could be a very close race as long as, you know, there is a viable option to Donald Trump. I don't think you could put a gender or a race on it. And uh, we had uh, just been speaking with Governor uh, Dean and had asked him about here at New York City uh, about Mayor uh, about Mayor Bill de Blasio and uh, his uh, consideration of pursuing presidential, uh, you know, presidential ambitions. Your view on that? Well, just full disclosure, I did work on Joe Lotus' campaign against him in 2013. Yeah. You should know that. <laughs> I, do. um, just, I didn't want to lead you into it. <laughs> but um, I, I think that it, there is no way that Bill de Blasio is a viable candidate for president of the United States. Uh, what do you think about Mike Bloomberg? He's uh, got a couple of bucks last time I checked. Well, he does. And, and going to the point of he can last through the primaries, um, he can be well-funded all through the primaries. That's interesting. But there is a lot of talk that if Joe Biden enters the race, perhaps there isn't. Mike Bloomberg will not uh, run and because that, that vacuum will be filled. He doesn't want to go against Joe Biden. There's a lot of big ifs. But at this point, we there's still plenty of time for people to make their decisions. Because now it's already, and that's another thing to consider, most people won't put uh, an an announcement out this far into a fundraising quarter because they want to show how much they can raise. Right. So we may not see anyone until the first week of March making an announcement. That's an interesting point, and I think it's certainly a valid point that uh, I think Bloomberg has... uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he's even said as much that if, if Biden was indicated, if Biden gets in, you know, that that would certainly affect his uh, his positioning on this. Um, do you feel like now that Bernie is in, uh, some people have uh, Democrats have some issues with him because he's, you know, for one thing, not a Democrat. Um, do you think well, this do you think that Bernie <laughs> getting in um, actually pushes Biden in one direction or another? 
Well, the, the, the one thing I've, always, I've been concerned about Biden, even when he was tinkering around with the idea in 2016, he always did it as if he was doing it for the party and for the country versus the fact that he really wanted to run for president. And when you say you're kind of being recruited into it or you feel that you felt a calling, I, I think that's a problem for any, for any candidate and especially for Joe Biden if he just does it because he thinks he's the best answer. I think what you need to see are people who have their own agendas, who want to push, they want to push forward, and that it gives people a reason to vote for them beyond just voting against Donald Trump. Susan Del Porcio, thank you so much for joining Celeste Katz and Oh, uh, so me great here. to see you both of you. And, and I'm, you. I hope to see you at the Inner Circle this year. <laughs> that would be fantastic. And Susan, if people right, want to find you. about you and uh, more about you and your work, where should we uh, where should we send them on, online? Oh, you could just go to my Twitter feed uh, Del Percio S. Okay, awesome. Um, I'm there. All right, thank, thank you. you again. Really, okay. really appreciate it. Great speaking to you guys. So bye bye. Bye. Goodbye. So we are now going to start taking your calls. The number is 212-209-2877. You're listening to Driving Forces with Jeff Simmons and Celeste Katz. We've got our first listener on the line. What's your name? Where are you from? And what is on your mind? Hello. Well, welcome to WBAI. I'm from Washington Heights. And I was pleased that Bernie announced because I think he will be the standard by which all others will have to be measured whether or not he is the best candidate. Uh, we will find out if there is a adequate public discourse on the issues that he probably will m- most explicitly articulate. What I'm concerned about, however, even after hearing Howard Dean uh, report on the DNC's plan for a different type of primary season, Mm. which I think is helpful. Uh, I'm fearful of what might be termed a circular firing squad, whereby with so many candidates in the race, um, whoever is elected uh, on a particular primary date um, will have a small percentage of the total vote. And so, while I think it is probably impossible that this suggestion will be adopted before that primary season begins, I'd like to float the idea of the Democratic primary initiating what some would call instant runoff voting. Yeah, interesting. If you're you're not familiar with that, it means that voters rank their candidates uh, by preference, and those who get fewer votes then are eliminated uh, and one's vote then gets recycled up a line to the point where their ultimate vote gets cast for a particular uh, Um, person who that they have named. And And that's a way of building consensus, because otherwise I'm fearful that we will engage in the election of a Democratic candidate who, um, for... The, the general election, uh, who has a small percentage of support, mm-hmm. and that's no way to go and beat Trump. Okay, thank you very much. We very much uh, appreciate your call, and that is an interesting point. I, I and we have talked a little bit about instant runoff voting here on the program, but who knows? I mean, maybe 
it's it's kind of a it's kind of a fascinating idea that we could get into sometime. What if we did have instant runoff voting where the top two people were in fact uh, the presidential nominee and the vice presidential nominee? People got to choose both members, you know, choose both members of the uh, of the ticket. Technically, there are a lot of technical reasons for how the vice president actually gets chosen, but you know, look. It's kind of an interesting idea. Oh, and there's a number of voting reforms that I'm hoping to see. You know right. That. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. So we've got another caller on the line. What's your name? Where are you from? Welcome to BAI. Hi. Um, I wanted to ask a question of your, um, I'm sorry, I turned this off, um, of, of, the, uh, of the person that you have on the air right now. My question is this. Um, what, what is being done, and why have we not dealt with the fact that we're still electing presidents based on um, a, uh, a setup that was developed so that we could bring uh, southern states into the Union happily? By that, I mean the Electoral College. What is to prevent any uh, Democratic uh, challenge to the current administration from getting into office when we still have this system that provided us George W. Bush? And Donald Trump. Um, uh, and again, the question is about the Electoral College. I don't understand why there isn't more discussion of it. I know there was some congressional thought about or some bill put forward, but I've heard nothing more. So we have this um, way of just, you know, having a total uh, no, no, no sort of um, review of history. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's a, and we thank you for your question. That's a, Look, that's been something that I've heard about as a political reporter for many years. I think I'm now covering, what, my fifth? Wow, I just dated myself there. My fifth presidential campaign. And uh, as soon as I go get some Geritol and be right back. No, um, people have certainly always been talking about uh, getting rid of the Electoral College. And whether it's an outdated system, it does have a historical uh, – it does have a historical uh, uh, – Genesis, but uh, is it necessary anymore? And especially when you have people now uh, seeing a difference in the outcome of elections based on the Electoral College and the popular vote. Uh, And people, you know, frankly get super angry. Um, Now, what it would take to completely reform our system of of elections and governance and uh, change from uh, the Electoral College system to a a plebiscite, no one person, one vote, uh, that I think is a a bit of a heavier lift. But it it is uh, something people do get uh, pretty upset about. So our number to call is 212-209-2877, and our switchboard continues to light up. We've got another caller on the line. Welcome to BAI. What's your name and where are you from? Hey, my name is Jay. I'm calling. I'm calling from Rockland County, New York. And what's on your mind? Well, that lady who was on, um, her, you know, she's brilliant. She had so many points that were just, you know, so smart. Just, she hit a lot of the things on, on the, you know, the hammer and the nail because um, the concept, though, and that is the, it's the idea of, of being new and fresh and having your own ideas that are not too outlandish but actually will still make sense. You know, like when, when um, you know, like with Kennedy or, you know, the, you know, our, our president, you know, the peanut farmer and he came in and he, and he was real and he had ideas. Or even Obama, when he came, you know, no one really knew about him and then he just popped up out of nowhere and boom, he had such great ideas and he was fresh. And then Trump, a guy who just came from, no, you know, people knew about him, but he just really came in there and he just was fresh and he was new. It's kind of like when you're buying an iPhone and you get the new iPhone, but it still, it just has a little bit of new features and it's fresh and you want it and it's exciting, that's, that's the whole thing here. So 
A lot of the candidates, the only problem on the Democratic side is there's, we know their ideas. You know, you have Andrew Yang, the guy with saying, like, universal basic income. Mm-hmm. We're not going to get there yet. You know, like, we're a little ways from there. You know, we still need AI to kind of, you know, all the coal mine, all the coal jobs to kind of, eventually it's all going to go down. And, you know, five years, we're going to have trucking, so no more people needed really for trucks. So once you start seeing that, we'll talk about that. And you do have different cities that are now trying, you know, universal basic income. That is part of the future. That's going to happen. But the thing is, there's not a candidate really that, you know, Bernie, he made a mistake when he didn't come out and, and had a plan on what democratic socialism was. As soon as Trump labeled him, like he labeled everyone, that really sticks. So, you know, everyone is, it, it, it's so tough. You know, Bernie has great ideas. Everyone has their own set of ideas. But, you know, there's a lot of people that are just running when, you know, they're, 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 they don't really have their own, own kind of new, something that is not so out there, mm-hmm. but something that is like this, this is the real facts. These are the real problems, and I feel like a lot of it is stale, and that's a, that's a problem because, you know, if Joe Biden comes out, yes, we'll say he could be the best candidate. Why? Because he's been there, you know, he has all, so much experience and stuff, but it's tough. And then you have the billionaires that are coming out and Democrat and saying, oh, you know, I could run because I worked on this company. It's just, it just seems like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what to say. It just it kind of seems like, you know, when you talk to everyone, you know, everyone who talks Everyone's like, oh, yeah, Trump's going to win again. Mm-hmm. Well, no, that's, uh, you know, and thank you for your call. We, we do appreciate it. You know, the idea of a of a fresh face coming in is uh, is something or, you know, that people maybe even if it's somebody they know, but it's somebody who's not sort of a, you know, I'm not a politician. That's always a big selling point. Did you cover Bernie here in New York City when he did campaign stops? I know he opened up a campaign office in Brooklyn. I mean, I a lot of the people that are in my circle were very big Bernie fans. They were caught up in Bernie fever. And, you know, I know he didn't make it past the primary with Hillary, right. but he had a in huge, New York, a huge event. I think it was in, in Brooklyn, uh, yeah, you know, uh, uh, it's, or some, maybe something in the Bronx, too. I think we had a couple of people well, he that lived here for 19 years. Well, that's the whole that's thing. The but there's just uh, I consider him also a New Yorker you know, showing an event. Well, <laughs> you, you can tell from the accent that I don't think that's a Vermont accent. But, last but time one I of the checked. biggest questions I've got is, can he I mean, look, as Susan pointed out considerable amount of money that he raised in the last few days. But oh, can yeah. he maintain this higher level of energy and enthusiasm from folks? Well, yeah. Plus, you know, the money thing, now that you mentioned it, I just wanted to, because I get, um, as it turns out, I get all the text messages from all the campaigns. And, and I, I and sign as, up for and all as these things. And as you're looking that up, I'm reminding our listeners of the call-in number. That's 212-209-2877. Uh, do we have another call on the line? We've got some on the line. Uh, what's your name and where are you from? Sam Langberg, Upper West Side. Welcome to WBAI. Three of your, your callers talking here. <laughs> How are you? What's on your mind? I've been very impressed. As a matter of fact, to the extent that I think Bernie should have been uh, in now, it's just that he was squeezed out by the system. I don't want to go into that. I'm just trying to say I've never been, I've been so impressed. I've never heard anyone answer questions in such detail on the spot as Bernie. And as, as he was raising money, it's only because other people like myself have been impressed by that. And were there, Man knows his stuff. And were there specific issues that you cared about, that he spoke about, that, that resonated with you, that you hope become dominant issues this campaign as well? Uh, not to be spoken about. I think, okay. the whole thing is, I think the whole damn thing is crooked. 
<laughs> well, uh, that is... Uh, he was squeezed out for a very simple reason, that he was told, oh, you're not a Democrat. What? The Clintons are Democrats? They're money, they're money but only money grubbers. Well, that is uh, that is one way to uh, put it. So uh, thank you for your call. And, you know, that again, we were talking about that a little bit before, Jeff. And just remember, if you guys want to call in, talk about Bernie Sanders 2020, up, down, uh, left, right, not sure, in the middle, 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. And before I forget, I do want to remind our listeners that we are in the middle of the Winter Fun Drive. It goes on through March 3rd. You can make a monthly recurring, a sustaining donation, even $10 a month, uh, that keeps us on the air. Celeste and I are volunteers. We are what is known as a BA, bu- a BA buddy, a BAI buddy. I will yes. get that out right. You got it. We, we sign up to make a recurring monthly donation. We use either credit or debit card. It's easy to do. You can call our pledge line at 516 516- 620-3602 and you could also make a pledge online at give to wbai.org the switchboard is lighting up again Celeste your turn to yeah. introduce oh, why, why thank you why, thank you very much uh, welcome to WBAI you're on the air what's your name and where are you from Cyrus from Brooklyn hey so alright what do you think Bernie Sanders 2020 like it don't like it what's up well I'm pretty much with the, uh, the other callers I just Pretty much didn't really hear exactly what they were saying, quite a piece of it. Uh, the young lady mentioned uh, electoral college, and the last young man was speaking about the universal basic income. And I think that's where we need to um, go with this, uh, besides the fact that the candidates need to put up front what they're planning on doing to assist the natives that are being taken advantage of, as well as the blacks, quote-unquote, in this country, who are seem to be out of their ethnic enclaves as far as New York is concerned. There are over 45 different neighborhoods that are owned and operated by people from different cultures and quote-unquote blacks have just lost the last one which is uh harlem which has been um replaced by people again from other cultures uh blacks and in new york particularly have pretty much uh been ostracized out of their economic standards they have no political freedom uh the electoral college needs to be abolished because with all this uh, uh, uh hype about the voting and who's running the Electoral College has the mm-hmm. final say. Right. And, 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 and as well as uh, the people, uh, the universal basic income is something I think we all need to look into. The citizens' dividend, it was spoken, up, it was spoken about since Martin Luther King days. Uh, no, absolutely true, and thank you for your call. I'm sorry if we are if we are uh, jumping from call to call a little bit, but we just trying to uh, we are trying to get to as many of you as we possibly can. The board is lit up like a uh, a Christmas, Christmas tree. tree. Or Hanukkah Bush. Hanukkah Bush. Bush. (laughs) Well, same. Uh, uh, WBAI 99.5 FM here. You're listening to Driving Forces with Celeste Katz, Jeff Simmons. So you're on the line. Uh, Where are you calling from? What's your name? Sam Landon, Upper West Side, Manhattan. Sam, have we? I, I feel like we just spoke. Have we spoken recently? I don't know. I can't tell what's going on here. Uh, I, get, uh, I get an answer, and then I don't. Oh, I often, I often have that feeling. Well, here, give me the 10-second uh, version. What do you think of Bernie Sanders? I think he's wonderful. I can, I've never heard anyone detail on-the-spot answers to questions that were raised. And during the whole time, there were so many questions raised for him that he answered in such detail. It was amazing. 
Yeah, you know he uh, he does have uh, he does have certainly. Well, uh, look, he's got a lot of experience. He has uh, he has been in uh, in government not a not a short time. He is uh, uh, experience is one thing, right? Having the noodle to work it all out, as he seems to have, is a rarity. Yes, no, absolutely, and thank you so much for your call. Really, really appreciate it, and we are, we are moving on here. Thank you again. We are both very, very happy, and our engineer, uh, James, here, <laughs> we are all trying to keep up with, uh, with all these calls. Glad to hear people talking about this. So uh, welcome to BAI. Uh, you're on the air. Where are you calling from, and what's your name? My name is Rose, and I'm calling from New Jersey, and I'd like to make a couple of quick points. Sure. Uh, the whole idea that the electoral electoral college can um, predispose what we don't want uh, should that we could challenge. We could say, "Hey, the votes have to be counted." Also, too, when they brought us George Bush, um, the diversion from the head of the uh, the House or Senate to Mr. Baker was clearly illegal. Uh, the other issue I'd like to bring up is that Mrs. Clinton's father was the head of the Republican Party for the state of Illinois. And until we can, as a Democratic Party, refuse to be part of the contract that was signed wherein they will not allow any other person to, to the debates, mm-hmm. We, it will be taken a whole lot more seriously. Okay, uh, you know that's uh, that's an interesting uh, that's an interesting point there. Thank you very much for your call. There is certainly look uh, uh, the idea of uh, the future. We could do a whole another show on the future of the parties. Actually, and in, we should. And in fact, we want to use this moment to put an ask out there to anyone who's listening from the Bernie Sanders campaign. That's Celeste and I would like to invite the candidate to be on our show, Driving Forces, an upcoming Thursday. You contact us; we'll reach out to you because. We can tell right now this switchboard is lighting up and we've only got a minute or two Absolutely. left. Absolutely. So uh, uh, email us, Celeste at WBAI.org, <laughs> C-E-L-E-S-T-E at WBAI.org. We will uh, we will be happy to have you on the program. So how are we? We, get, what, we can do for, one more call. Time yeah. for one more call. Okay, one more quick call uh, before we wrap it up. WBAI, you're on the air. And uh, oh, that was uh, that was the the, the uh, Martian caller. Uh, that's the uh, Venusian caller. Venusian caller. Mercury. Do we have I think we I think we have an Earth touchdown. Right okay. Now. Well, you know what? May look look. Sometimes the timing works out perfectly. So again, thank you very much for uh, for joining us. You've been listening to Driving Forces here on WBAI. I'm Celeste Katz and Jeff Simmons. Uh, we are here with you every Thursday at five o'clock. And, of course, I do not want to end the show without reminding our listeners that uh, it is the Winter Fun Drive. And Celeste and I really enjoy doing the show. We've been on the air since September. That is correct. That is is right. Uh, I think we've only taken off a few times, but we're always here. One of us is always here. We enjoy talking about politics and policy. And I take notes every week as we do the show on some of the topics that come up that we don't get a chance to fully address. So for our listeners who've brought up the Electoral College, it is something I do want to come back to now. I do want to spend a whole show on this because it's worth an exploration. And again, seriously, let us know. Let us know. Um, Email us. Again, it's uh, my email, Celeste at WBAI.org and... Oh, Jeff at WBAI.org. Well, that's that's very original. And reminding (laughs) you that if you can make a pledge for our winter pledge drive, call 516-620- 
3602 or just go online to uh, give to wbai.org and make a a pledge you can become a bai buddy and give five ten dollars even more than that would be great per month you uh, will get a tote bag you also get a card that will provide you with discounts yes it's a cool membership card with your name on it very official it's like better than the uh, little orphan annie decoder ring you know gets you uh, gets you uh, where you want to go and before we end i should recap next tuesday public advocates race if you're in new york city please remember to go out and vote the polls open i believe it's at 6 a.m 6 a.m till 9 p.m Correct. please go out and vote check nyc votes uh online uh, and then on Thursday of next week, we will do a recap. We've already got one great expert who's going to join us, and we're hoping to be able to get uh, some of the folks who are deeply entrenched in this campaign on the show as well. Thanks very much for joining Celeste Katz and me here on Driving Forces. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Look for us on SoundCloud. That was Driving Forces. Coming your way at the top of the hour, the WBAI Evening News with Paul DiRienzo. Stay with us for that. station dedicated to and sponsored by its listeners. From 1960 to present day, WBAI has been promoting an innovative perspective of news, public affairs, music, arts, health, and science. In order to provide a truly unique voice to New York City, WBAI receives its financial assistance from listeners like you. 
To help WBAI continue this tradition, you can become a BAI buddy by giving a generous monthly donation of as little as $10. It's a safe, secure, and simple way to support your local station. To become a BAI buddy, go to give to WBAI.org. That's give the number two WBAI.org. U.S. Hands off Venezuela. Why? Why the saber rattling of government and the media following suit, fanning the flames of war? BAI reveals all. Tune in for WBAI's On Air Teaching with leading scholars and on-the-ground reports from hands-off Venezuela rallies across the country. Saturday, February 23rd, noon to 4, will be educating, agitating, and organizing for Hands Off Venezuela. Saturday, noon to 4.